Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm, the, the, the last week or 10 days has caught up to me, so I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know, off my game. But other than that, I'm, I'm, we're doing great. Mrs. B got back last night. I got back the day before yesterday or before that, whatever time it was, I forgot now. But uh, yeah, we're just kind of settling in, getting back into our normal rhythm, and I'm looking forward to it. How was your New Year's? It was great, man. It was uh, a day filled with really fun college football. Uh, I enjoyed the Alabama game, of course, but I loved the way those playoff games turned out. I mean, I didn't really have a dog in that hunt, but boy, were they exciting. And uh, now I'm ready for us to get into Royal Rumble season. That's what it feels like it's next in my life with no more Alabama football. Yeah, there'll be some college football playoffs, but Royal Rumble is sort of uh, the next major event on my calendar. And we're not talking about that today. Instead, we're talking about, I can't believe this is real, 13 years ago. Where does the time go? Where we're going to launch TNA on Monday night. And of course, this entire program, 83 weeks, it, it harkens back to memories of the iconic Monday Night War between WCW and the WWF. And it feels as if that was really what took WCW to the next level. So it makes sense maybe to think that, well, 15 years later, let's do it again. We try it with TNA. It's announced a few weeks prior, and I'll never forget watching this. I was actually watching the ultimate fighter finale. I was a big UFC fan, had loved what they had done with that. By the way, thoughts and prayers to Stefan Bonner, who I think since you and I recorded most recently has passed away. Um, but man, that whole UFC story looks a lot different without that ultimate fighter show. And certainly the finale and you're there with Dixie Carter and Hulk Hogan. Did this feel like a major moment to you or was it just another day at the office? Uh, you mean attending UFC, uh, the announcement of, of TNA. <clears throat> on Mondays. Um, <clears throat> no, it didn't feel like another day at the office. That wouldn't be um, accurate or fair. Um, it certainly didn't have the energy behind it that Nitro did for a lot of different reasons. But it was a big mo. It was a big move. You know, it. It. it yeah, I mean, it. We knew it was going to get a lot of attention, which was the reason we did it: is to attract new eyeballs and create awareness and of course there was like the anticipation of oh my god i wonder what it's gonna do you know it was a big deal it was not another day at the office but it certainly didn't have the energy behind it that nitro did let's uh what do you think of the association of of the impact product and and the big announcement being done on a ufc program and you've said recently just a few weeks ago that you really wanted to lean into spike being part owner or primary owner of impact wrestling. Why not be owned by the TV station? You were comfortable with that from your WCW days. And of course, spike is airing impact and the UFC and UFC is now chugging along and becoming a, a, a much bigger opportunity. And now we know that it's going to be the launching pad for this announcement that that impact is, is going to Mondays. Did you feel like 
was the UFC welcoming to that idea? I only ask because it's been said a lot that, you know, Dana didn't want to confuse the audience and he felt like he didn't want anything to do with the pro wrestling association at times. And simply because he didn't want people to think that his product was staged or fixed or whatever. So he would tell a guy like Kurt Angle, you can't do both. And, and obviously we've seen, you know, he did do business with Brock Lesnar and CM Punk and, but I'm curious from your perspective, did you feel welcome at that event and that opportunity? Did it feel weird? Um, it, it didn't feel weird at all. I didn't feel welcome and I didn't feel unwelcome. It was, <clears throat> it's very, uh, I don't know. It's just transactional to me. I, I didn't think that, and I, you know, I was in the minority, I guess, and probably still am. Um, I just didn't think that there was as much crossover between UFC and professional wrestling as a lot of other people did. And, you know, I think some people felt <clears throat> that it was almost the exact same audience. I'm sure Dana didn't, right? But executives from Spike, certainly management in TNA, and a lot of fans just automatically assume that if you were a UFC fan, you're probably more than likely to be a wrestling fan and vice versa. And I didn't subscribe to that. I still don't. You know, I, 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 one is a sport and one is drama. One is scripted and one is not. I, I, my impression really was and still is that most people who are hardcore, not even hardcore, just big UFC fans don't get wrestling and aren't interested in it. There's a percentage that are, of course. I don't know if anybody really knows what that crossover percentage is. If it's 2% of the UFC audience that watches wrestling or 5% or 20% or 80%, I don't know. You know, if anybody else is, knows that as a fact through research or data, I'd, I'd be curious and especially curious to see how that's changed since Brock Lesnar. You know, I'd like to see how that's changed pre-Brock Lesnar and post-Brock Brock Lesnar. But at the time, I was like, okay, well, this is great. We're on spike. We're, you know, getting a primetime announcement. More than anything, I was excited about the fact that we're preaching to a different audience. And that was one of the reasons why I was so supportive about going head-to-head uh, on Monday night with TNA is because TNA, for the longest time, didn't promote themselves outside of their core audience. There were a lot of people that didn't know that TNA even existed. And this was a big opportunity to let the world know that not only did TNA exist, but hey, they're bringing in Hulk Hogan. And so for that, for that reason, I was glad that we were announcing on UFC, but I wasn't like over the moon and I didn't have real high expectations. It just made sense. Meltzer would say it's a one-time deal at this point, but it is an experiment. If the rating for the show is good, most likely going two hours live on Mondays would be in the cards. The success will depend on a number of factors, including how much more curiosity they can generate from people to see Hogan's new role and how much media attention and publicity spike and TNA can garner for the date. If there was ever a time to try out this experiment, this was the time. It's really hard to figure out whether, whether this will be a success or not. If the success is coming close to WWE numbers, as Nitro did from day one in 95, well, no, it's not possible. If success is doing a 1.4 rating, 
and saying that's better than the 1.1 on Monday, even though that would have most likely been beaten two to one. Yes, that is possible. And if it's not a success, then spike knows to stick to Thursday. So it sounds like Dave doesn't really know what to expect here. Dave doesn't really know what, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time following that. Maybe it's just because I've had a rough week and I'm kind of, well, operating on fumes, but it was confusing. It is. Um, what was your expectation? I didn't have one. I had hope. My hope was that by letting the world outside of our Thursday night little choir, because that's what TNA really was at that point, compared to WWE, compared to Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, it had a very, very small audience. And it wasn't marketed outside of Spike, or certainly TNA wasn't spending any money or time marketing their show, not in a meaningful way on a national level. So my hope was that by launching and and going head-to-head, there's a certain amount of inherent controversy in that move, right? It's It's a move. It's stepping onto the field and saying, okay, I can play this game too. And by the way, we've got Hulk Hogan, and we're here to play. And I was hoping that that statement by going head to head would at least get people to check out TNA who hadn't previously. You know, and I use the term, you know, preaching to the choir all the time, and so does everybody else. It's a common term. But it was such a prevalent situation in TNA because they preached really hard to their little choir every Thursday night but they didn't bother to talk to anybody outside the choir. And this was our opportunity to kind of broadcast in a bigger way outside that choir by taking advantage of the controversy that it would create. Let's, uh, let's talk about the start of the show. When the show opens, it's obvious that there are immediate changes with the show. And the thing that jumps out, maybe most of all, it's not a six sided ring anymore. It's a four sided ring. We've talked about this with Jeff for a long time about, Hey, why did this happen? Why was this a thing? And Jeff was real quick to answer. It was the only way to get toy space on the shelf. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a challenger brand as Jeff likes to call it, and you're saying, Hey, we have action figures. Well, so does everyone else. What do you have? That's new or different or interesting and a, a bigger ticket item that wasn't just a regular WWF style four-sided ring but maybe less traditional, new, innovative, larger, bigger ticket, six-sided ring. That's how you do it. But I'm sure there were some old school folks who thought, well, this changes the way the psychology of a match works. This changes the way it has to be produced for television. And I'm sure just physically the construction meant it quote unquote felt different and bumped different. Maybe the timing of how many steps to take the ropes and all of that is different, but for whatever reason, fans have said for a long, long time, that was a Hulk and Bischoff decision. It was, and it was more, it was more me than Hulk. Hulk didn't really care. Hulk was not, I mean, he don't, that sounds wrong. He cared, but he, he wasn't as fixated on the ring as I was. I hated it. And by the way, I love Jeff Jarrett and Karen. We're good friends, and I've heard multiple reasons why the six-sided ring was introduced. 
And this is the first time I've heard it had anything to do with licensing. Yeah. Right? TNA didn't have any licensing when they launched the six-sided ring. And you're not going to get licensing until you start getting massive numbers or meaningful numbers. And TNA had neither at that point. What I had heard, and maybe there's multiple reasons, which is why I've heard different things, which is fine, legitimate. But the reason I heard was, and this just inspired me even more to make that six-sided ring vaporize, was that, yeah, but, you know, if someone's clicking through the channels, they're going to see that ring and go, hey, maybe I'll stop here and watch. What is that? You know, like, uh, because people haven't seen it before, the curiosity of a six-sided ring, if they're flipping through the channels, would cause them to stop and engage. And I just... I couldn't buy into that. And maybe I was wrong, but in my head and in my heart, my gut, I went, that's silly. It makes no sense. And the other reason that I was so against it is to me, it was like a little bit of a, oh, let's do what the UFC is doing. It's a, it was a little bit of a me too. Hey, we're doing that too. And, but beyond that, it didn't change the way the guys worked in the ring. Mm-hmm. It didn't. The six-sided ring meant absolutely nothing other than it was a six-sided ring. It didn't change the, the work in the ring as, as near as I could tell as a viewer. it's Everybody wrestled the same kind of matches they always wrestled, but it was in a six-sided ring, and it was awkward. It was just awkward looking, and I, I did feel strongly, and I, I probably threw my weight around from day one, at least in my opinion, I didn't have any weight, but I had an opinion and I was uh, still just to this day. I think it was a silly move. A silly, a silly move to, to go to the six sided ring. Yep. 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 Who are you, who, who are you trying to appeal to and why? Now look at the six sided ring would have come with a unique set of rules perhaps, or if as a result of the six-sided ring, it would force and or create an opportunity to present the product in a new and different than way, I'd have been a biggest supporter of it. But it didn't. It didn't do anything. And I don't think they sold one toy with a six-sided ring. Maybe I'm wrong. But it just, it just it just didn't make any sense to me. Like, it was sometimes people try to be different for the sake of being different, but don't know. There's no reason. It's just different for the sake of being different. And I, I couldn't. Ha- nobody could explain to me why it made sense. And visually, I found it awkward. It didn't change. As again, I don't want to repeat myself. Didn't change the work rate. Didn't change the presentation of the work in the ring. It was just a six-sided ring. By the way, before we forget, Eddie Prather, Josh. Michael, thank you guys for showing up here. TJ Stevens, appreciate you guys being here with us, man. I love this. Our ad-free shows community jumping in on board. Um, They've got their comments and questions. We'll get to some of them while we're doing this, but I really appreciate you guys. Hope you all have a great new year. They did make a six-sided ring toy, by the way. They did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. How'd that sell? Well, I mean, here's the thing that, I mean, like what fucking difference does it make to you? Why do you give a shit what the shape of the ring is? Like, I, I, it feels like you're changing things just cause you don't like them. 
No, I did. I, I look, I was hired as an executive producer. So what am I gonna do? Just show up and say, oh, everything you guys are doing is fucking great. It's perfect. I'm just gonna sit here and watch what you all do because you're just rocking and rolling. But that wasn't the case. They weren't rocking and rolling. They were trying to grow. And it was my opinion then, and still is today, that a six-sided ring is visually awkward. And if it doesn't lend itself to a more exciting product, then you're putting something out there for the sake of putting something out there that's a little bit different, and it's awkward. I don't want awkward. I want interesting. I'd rather have the traditional wrestling audience excited about the product than excited about the fact that it's a six-sided ring. I don't think it just didn't make any sense to me. You're right. I could have showed up and said, I guys do whatever you want to do. Six-sided ring. Yay. Whoa. Company guy. Team well, I'm just saying if it was part of their brand identity, uh, where, Hey, we have a six-sided they ring. They have a brand identity. That was the problem. This is exactly why they brought in Hulk Hogan. They, their brand identity was limited to the little audience they had, relatively small audience that they had on Thursday nights that nobody really knew about outside of that little community. What's wrong with having a unique selling point? It wasn't that unique. It was just awkward. It would have been a unique selling proposition had the product inside of that six-sided ring been noticeably different. If it would have been more dangerous, if it would have come with a unique set of rules, it w- if it would have come with a unique presentation, see the pattern here. Yes, you have a six-sided ring. Now what? If you have a six-sided ring and nothing changes, you haven't accomplished a damn thing. That's well, just my it. opinion. And I know a lot of people dug it. You know, it's just, it, and, and I wasn't a very popular person for expressing that opinion. Um, <laughs> what else is new? But I really believed it. They weren't hiring me to show up and say, you guys are all doing great. I'm just going to sit back and watch. I'm going to give you my opinion. And if you want to stick to a 600 rig, stick to it. I just thought it was stupid. Still do. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Well, I, I just find it interesting. It feels like, you know, um, you guys had a big association with new Japan pro wrestling back in the day in WCW and you did a whole starcade with like 
you know, American talent versus Japanese talent. And I don't think that shows anything to write home about or that the hardcore fans really gravitated to it or cared one way or another, but you saw value in it. And I think the same could be said of the six sided ring because it wasn't really a TNA innovation. It already existed in Mexico and the style certainly in the, the TNA era, the Lucha style certainly started to infiltrate and grow here in America more and more. And we see a lot of Lucha influence every time we turn on wrestling today, whether it's Monday or Wednesday or Friday or what have you. So I think in that vein, I could get behind the idea that, that we have a six sided ring and, and we're going to showcase some of this X division talent that way. Now you're opening up another can of worms because the, the, <laughs> The X division wasn't unique either. What was unique about the X division? Well, I mean, certainly it was the, the style they, they usually showed lighter, more cruiserweight style performers doing more Lucha. Like, like Samoa Joe. All right. He's one. Keep going. (laughs) No, but there was no differentiation. There was no weight limit. There was no, there was no positioning of the exhibition other than the only rules are there are no rules, which by the way, was the same situation in almost every other match in, in TNA. It just, it was like, Oh, let's create, you know, our version of the cruiserweight division and we'll, we'll create a belt and we'll promote it and we'll hype it, but you don't change anything. You don't make it anything. You have to build something in order to sell something. And all they did was create a belt and give it a cool name. It didn't change. I disagree with you. I don't think the X division helped introduce any more Lucha influence on a whole than anything else that happened in TNA. You had a lot of guys that were adapting as, as people were around the country, including in WWE to the T or to the, uh, to the AAA influence and the Lucha influence. We were seeing more and more of that, but in TNA, it wasn't exclusive in any way, shape or form to the X division. And it was one of the things it was one of the first questions I asked when I showed up and I didn't, I didn't, cause I didn't watch a lot of TNA before I took the job. In fact, I'd probably seen a total of about 20 minutes of it because I couldn't stand watching it. It just, I couldn't stand the soundstage. I, it just looks so small. It just hey, let me, let me ask this. I, I, this is a bit all over me. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's all over me. You were the wrong fucking guy for this job, right? I didn't apply for it, <laughs> but you took it. And my point is you have approached every time we've even brought this conversation up today about the six sided ring, about the X division, the sound, it was all stupid and it was terrible. And I didn't watch it. I didn't care. If no, you, I didn't say anything. You're putting words in my mouth. I didn't say I didn't care. You have approached this with more negativity than I've ever seen you approach anything in your life at all. And I ask myself, self, if Eric really felt this way, why would he even fucking do it? Like, don't even take the gig if you really hated it this bad. First of all, I didn't hate it. I just didn't buy it into the logic or the psychology of it. I didn't buy into it. work for a company you don't believe in. I didn't know I didn't believe in the company. I just knew the product I saw on television was not appealing to me. There's nothing wrong with that, Connor. It doesn't make me a negative person. I just didn't like it. And it's, it's not that I didn't like the talent. 
I didn't know any of the management. I didn't have any personal feelings about anything. It wasn't hate by any stretch of the imagination. But the reason, because I would hear about TNA and I'd hear about the impact song, I, you know, so I'd, ch- I'd check it out. And to me, it looked like, you know, worldwide wrestling from the Disney MGM studios with a lot of talent that I didn't know. And that's not a criticism. That was my impression of it. And because that was my impression of it, I didn't watch it on a regular basis. When I got there, you know, as to why I took the job, I've talked about it, you know, a lot. You know, I took, I, I didn't apply for the job. I was very hesitant to take the job. I only got hired because they wanted Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan didn't want to go to TNA unless I was there to oversee his stories or his character. That's why I went. I went as much for, for Hulk and my relationship with him, but I also hoped, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to mislead you. I also hoped that I could have some influence on a product that I felt needed to improve. And I expressed those feelings loudly, clearly, professionally. I didn't yell and throw shit, but it's it's not that I hated anybody or anything. It's just that I looked at that product and I just could look, where did I come from? You know, I, I saw what WCW was before Nitro. I saw what WCW became with Nitro. I saw what happened with Nitro towards the end. I was a part of all that. I had been I spent a lot of time in WWE. And for me, subconsciously or maybe even consciously, it's like, why? I've been to the mountaintop. Why do I want to go there? You know, I and, and again, not to be redundant, I went for very specific reasons. I would have never thought about reaching out to TNA on my own and seeing if they would be interested in bringing someone like me in. That thought never crossed my mind, nor would it have had it not been for Hulk. But when I got there and I was brought on as a consultant slash executive producer, they wanted to know what I thought. So I told them, I mean, I don't know how else to perform in that role. Somebody asked you a question, Eric, what do you think of six under ring? I think it doesn't make any sense. What do you think of a lethal lockdown where we have cage matches for the entire pay-per-view? Doesn't make any sense. I think it's dumb. Why would you do that? It doesn't mean I hated anybody or anything. Well, we all hate being inconvenienced. And a new year is full of possibilities. But when your e-commerce business is dealing with gift returns, late deliveries, and a mountain of customer emails, you can feel stuck. And ShipStation helps you get there faster. Whether you run a side hustle or a giant warehouse, keep customers happy and fulfill more orders than ever, all while cutting shipping costs and managing it all from a single dashboard. And their best rates in the industry just got even better. With up to 86% off USPS and UPS rates, it's not a question of if you should switch to ShipStation, but more, why haven't you already? Now, this is something that I have to admit, we just started using at the office here in the last couple of years. Uh, we have been shipping a bunch of stuff to all of our folks over at adfreeshows.com. And of course, one of those perks when you sign up at adfreeshows.com is you get a little special delivery every now and again. ShipStation has made it easy for us. Before this, buddy, it was a nightmare. I don't know another way to say it. It was inconvenient as hell to have to go down to a shipping center, especially during the holidays. But the idea that it was also cheaper, it made it a no-brainer. 
ShipStation makes it easy to grow your business by handling your orders from every single platform in one place. ShipStation effortlessly integrates everywhere you sell online, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and more. Manage every order from one simple dashboard, automate routine shipping tasks, print your shipping labels, easily compare the rates and delivery times, optimize every single shipment. And with the enterprise solution, you can even do warehouse optimization. You see, ShipStation scales when you do. They got the best discounts in the industry, and that got my attention. You'll never have to wonder whether or not you're getting the best rates. 86% off USPS and UPS rates. And if that's not enough, use our promo code and try ShipStation free for two months. They've helped over 130,000 companies grow their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. So make the new year your best year and grow your business with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com forward slash 83 weeks today and sign up for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com slash 83 weeks. And I want to make sure you guys know the link is in the description to our show as well. Or just bang it out in your browser there. ShipStation.com forward slash 83 weeks. And we thank ShipStation for sponsoring today's show, don't we, Eric? We sure do. And by the way, I've got a, <clears throat> my new year's resolution is not to swear anymore on this show. Oh, okay. I'm, and I've already, I already screwed up once and I'm trying real hard not to do it again. So um, I don't know why I threw that in there when I did it means nothing, but ship station. Oh, I know. I have got a large amount of books that I have to ship out here over the next couple of days. And I'm using ship station to do it. We, you know, uh, Guy Evans and I offered to autograph books, hardcovers, softcovers, and, and ship them out to people. We had a couple issues with books that showed up damaged, and we didn't want to send damaged books. We're waiting for them to get replaced. So by the time all of the replacements come back, I'm probably going to have 150 to 200 books to sign and ship. And I would have to, and I've done it. The first batch, I actually had to do it. I took them out of the box. I signed them. I packed them back up. I had to retape the boxes that they came in, take them down to UPS, unload them one box at a time. What a pain in the neck. And I live in the middle of nowhere, as you know. So there's nothing convenient here for me to drive into, drop things off at UPS or FedEx or whatever. It's an hour out of my life. No, more than that, an hour and a half out of my life. This thing, ship station is so convenient. You just get everything filled out. Boom. They come to your home, pick your stuff up and take it. It's unbelievable. I don't have to leave the house. I can do it in my underwear. It's awesome. Shipstation.com forward slash 83 weeks. Try it for free for 60 days. Come on now. Shipstation.com 83 weeks. Uh, Hulk's going to say this. Um, in an interview that he wants a commitment to go after top talent, specifically Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam being the big ones. Meltzer would say, even with Hardy's legal issues ongoing, there are three promotions interested in making a bid. So we're changing a lot of things. We're changing to a new night. We're getting four-sided rings. Hulk wants new talent too. What do you remember about his interest in Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam? 
Rob and Hulk had become, I mean, they were always friendly with each other, but I, I think they had become even more friendly and just communicating just socially more, you know, text, emails, and things like that, riffing on the phone. And Rob was, you know, Rob was maybe not at the top of his game back then, but he wasn't far from it. And he was obviously a high equity talent. And Hulk was excited about it. I think a lot of other people were as well. The Jeff Hardy thing, I, I didn't quite understand that because I hadn't, you know, Hulk and I had, had spent a lot of time together in the months and years leading up to this point in time. We often, you know, we talked three or four times a week, two or three times a week, whatever it was. And we'd almost always talk about wrestling, where people are at, names that are available, who's doing what, typical conversation. And I never really heard Hulk talk much about Jeff Hardy. Jeff's name never really came up. So I was a little surprised that I didn't have an opinion, you know, good or bad. I, I you know, worked with Jeff and a little bit, Matt in WWE. He was obviously a really exciting performer when he was on his game. No question about that. I thought that he could certainly contribute to TNA again, especially if we're going to be making this big move and going head to head in order to attract a lot of attention that we otherwise weren't getting from outside our Thursday night time slot. So I thought, you know, it made sense to me, but I, uh, Jeff caught me by surprise. Rob really didn't because I, I knew Rob and, and Hulk had been become pretty good friends. So that one didn't surprise me. Jeff did a little bit. Meltzer would also say that Hogan wants to do TV outside of the impact zone in major arenas. And that's the only way to fight Vince is to present a product that looks as good. And Meltzer would say he's correct in that that's what's needed. But there is the issue about how, even with papering, is TNA going to be able to run big arenas and make them look good without empty seats everywhere? And if word gets out that they're papering everywhere they run, well, that's bad for long-term business too. This sort of feels like, duh, a little bit of a no-brainer. But here it is. This is what Hulk wants to do, and I know you felt the same. But there's got to be a reason they were running in the soundstage, right? They knew they could get a crowd. They knew that they weren't going to incur other expenses. Is this what happens when you let talent make some of those decisions? I mean, I know that ultimately, once upon a time, when you had the, the bankroll of Ted Turner, you know, you could outrun it and make it work. But there was a real financial commitment there that was probably at a level that was greater than what Impact was willing to do. Fair to say? Well, you covered a lot of ground there. You know, first of all, Dave, Dave Dave's observation was WCW circa 1991, 1992. WCW famously would be, you know, I remember one pay-per-view I went to, I think it was one of the first pay-per-views that I went to where there may have been 800 tickets that were sold and 1,200 that were given away. And it was like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, you're killing your own business. That was one of the reasons I shut down. So Dave, Dave's observation was simply, you know, kind of pointing out the same issues that WCW had before Nitro. And those 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 issues in WCW existed even on the Nitro debut, which is why I did it from the Mall of America, because I didn't believe that we could fill a big venue. And the goal for going to bigger venues didn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to go run the Alamo dome 
or we're, we're going to run the Target Center in Minneapolis, which was what it was called back then. We're not going to go to 15 and 20,000 seat arenas right off. You're not going to go from a sound stage where you were giving tickets away. Nobody was buying tickets there either. There was no revenue. You just show up and watch a show. Um, the idea of, of taking the show on the road and going live, I look, if the goal was, and it, it was expressed to me that it was, we want to be more competitive with the WWF. Nobody said to me, nobody from Spike TV, nobody internally at TNA ever said, we want to be bigger than WWE. But they did want to be far more competitive than they were. And Hulk's observation, as well as mine, and, and I was vociferous about expressing it, uh, was that you've got to get the show out of the soundstage. Why did I feel so strongly about it? Because I did it. I was forced to do shows in a soundstage, and they were horrible. Yes, you solved a couple problems. You could actually get bodies in the building, but it just wasn't the same as the energy and the scope that being in a traditional arena provided. And Hulk was right then, as was I. And I think had, to your point, I don't know what the financial commitments were in TNA. At the time, I was making all my controversial statements about the six-sided ring and about the X division and, and more importantly about taking the show on the road. Um, I don't know what the, I don't know what anybody was willing to do. I wasn't involved on the business side of things. I was just there to say, look, if you want to do X, then here's the Y and the Z that you're going to have to do to get there. You're just going to have to. And taking the show on the road was one of them. Uh, TNA is going to do a really heavy marketing campaign with ads focusing on the debut of Hulk Hogan. And of course the WWE is going to respond. They're going to start promoting that Bret Hart will finally return to Monday Night Raw for the first time since 1997. And Hulk is going to continue to do some publicity and even saying that he thinks the show will do a 3.0 rating. And Lord knows we love us some Hulk Hogan here on this program. I wouldn't be doing podcasts if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. He is the reason I'm a wrestling fan. Um, but I know occasionally he's told a couple fish tales along the way <laughs> and man, a 3.0 seems like a, a stretch. Did you ever think that was real or is this just Hulk not letting, uh, I mean, he's being a promoter, right? He's being a promoter. Yeah. What's he supposed to do? Come out and right. say, Hey, I'm, I'm joining TNA and we'll be lucky if we get a 1.5. Can't say that. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And look, I, I think we all see it today. You know, wrestling talent has a tendency to be wrestling talent, which is you're putting yourself over, you're putting their company over, you're putting the match that's coming up next week over, you know, that's, it's inherent to what you do as talent. You know, I mean, I think within the last year or so, year and a half, Chris Jericho came out and said, by the end of the year, we're going to be getting bigger numbers in WWE or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing it. Do I think that Chris really believed that? I don't. But what's Chris supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, he's fighting. He's he's representing. He's fighting. He's representing his company. He's fighting for his company. He's promoting his company. He's doing all those things and himself. But you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, I believe what you're referencing is it was last September uh, or actually not last because we're in 2023 now, September of 2021. He said he thought AEW ratings would overtake WWE in the next year. And well, unfortunately that didn't really happen. But again, uh, does anybody, is anybody criticize? And I'm not saying that we should, I, I, I think there's very few people in the business today that I respect as much as Chris Jericho, but do, do I hold the fact that Chris said that against him? Absolutely not. What's he supposed to say? He's out there. You know, sometimes you put stuff out there in the universe and eventually it starts to happen. Yeah. You, you speak know? that shit into existence. I get it. So I get, I get that. It was no different with Hulk Hogan, but because it was Hulk Hogan, you know, it's like, Oh fuck, there it was. Oh, there I did it again. I'm gone. It. I mean, listen, I, I know there's been a little bit of a controversy lately on some podcasts where people are debating, you know, uh, Chris Jericho. I don't think there's any debate. You got to give that dude credit for just constantly innovating. And he somehow found a way to have an extra 10 hours a day. I mean, between podcasts and, and cruises and touring rock bands and books and wrestling and, and, and I don't know how he does it all. However, he's kind of the modern day Hulk Hogan. Is he not? I think in some respects I have, you know, I actually have, I don't want to say more respect. You can't really compare Hulk Hogan to Chris Jericho just because of the eras and the nature of the business or the condition of the business at that time. No one's ever going to be able to repeat what Hulk Hogan did because Hulk Hogan was one of the first major wrestling talents that crossed over in such a monster way. You know, Sports Illustrated, you know, Johnny Carson. I mean, Hulk Hogan was everywhere and arguably... I think Hulk Hogan, well, look, in my opinion, whatever it's worth, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon changed the wrestling industry. Yes. Right. And I don't think, I don't think either one of them individually would have been able to pull off what they pulled off, but those two together was a magnitude of five. And it it was amazing. And that situation is never going to exist again. So that's why I say it's really unfair. Every, you know, whether you, you look at The Rock, you look at Austin, you look at Ric Flair, you look at some of those big names, Randy Savage, you know, they all came in a, in a specific period of time or era, and those conditions will most likely not ever exist again. But if I look at Chris Jericho and what he's done, and, you know, between, you know, touring with his band and his podcast, which has been around longer than this one. Yeah. He's been around, he's been doing it for a long time at a very high level and making great money with it. The fact that he's able to reinvent his character and reinvent himself so many different times. Hulk's done it twice. He was red and yellow Hulk Hogan and then he turned into NWO Hulk Hogan and he turned back to red and yellow Hulk Hogan. Chris Jericho has reinvented himself four times in the last two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think you can really compare him, but I have nothing but respect and i think in the sense that chris jericho has become chris jericho inc 
as opposed to just Chris Jericho, the talent, I think it's nothing but respect, nothing but respect. Uh, totally agree. You have to be impressed with what he's doing. To be clear, I wasn't comparing the impact that Hulk Hogan had on the wrestling business and the Chris Jericho did. I was trying to respond to your comparison of saying, well, it's funny because when Jericho says this, he doesn't get criticized the way Hulk Hogan does. I think that started to change. I think a lot of people perceived a relationship between Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and they say, oh, well, these guys are pals. So he's always going to be figured in near the top. And he's always going to try to, you know, get his way or whatever. And now that narrative has started to exist about Chris Jericho and Tony Khan. I'm not there. I'm not saying it's true. I don't care, but I know that there are people out there who are saying, oh, well, he only tries to attach himself to a talent when they get some buzz and he uses it for himself and he's not really helping them. He's helping himself. And they said that exact same thing when Hulk Hogan lost to Billy Kidman. Uh, I think that the the negativity that surrounds Hulk Hogan as a quote unquote political animal, whether it's fair or not, people have started to talk about Chris in that same vein. And I think that's fascinating because Chris used to be the guy on the other side of that. These old guys are taking our spots and blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. I get a big kick out of that. Every time I I do get a kick out of that. It's like, what's old is new again. And Hey, and by the way, Jericho has figured this out better than anybody. Uh, he has adapted to modern wrestling and figured it out and he knows what's cool and what's hot and he's getting paid great money on a great deal. And I'm a big Jericho fan. I just can acknowledge there are similarities between what Hulk Hogan's hater haters were saying. And now what Chris Jericho haters are saying. And I think a lot of that has to do. I think more of that has to do with how long they've been successful than anything they're actually doing or saying. When you get somebody at the top that's been at the top for as long as they have been, you are going to get some of that narrative. It just is what it is, especially when, you know, a guy like Hulk Hogan, you know, he, he had to protect his character. He protected the value of his character, and he did it very carefully. You can also call that politics. I call it smart business. Now, did did Hulk step over the line from time to time? I he, fuck, he, oh. yes, he did. You know, Brutus the Barber beefcake got jammed down my throat. So that was a political move because Hulk wanted to take care of one of his friends. That was an obvious one. Hulk didn't even really try to hide it. By the way, it wasn't even subtle. <laughs> it was right there in your face. And I think Chris, because he's been at the top of his profession for so long, you're going to get a lot of those comparisons. Um, doesn't mean they're right or fair. It just is what it is. Comes with the territory over. Well, something else that comes with the territory is, uh, you saying something that goes a little viral and you said plenty on Chris Van Vliet's podcast last week. If you haven't already go see the interview that's making headlines everywhere with Eric sharing his thoughts on MJF what Vince McMahon might be up to in retirement, what he thinks Cody Rhodes will do in 2023 and things even get emotional when Eric shares a personal and touching story. Check out the interview on insight with Chris Van Vliet, wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch it on Chris's YouTube channel. And while you're there, check out some of his previous interviews with people like me, the rock, Rick flair, road dog, drew McIntyre, man. He's had some of the biggest names in Hollywood, like Mark Ron Rick. Howard. 
he, he interviewed Ron Howard like two days before he interviewed me. Was Adam like, Sandler, Chris Hemsworth, everybody, dude. It's a who's who. He's doing a great job. By the way, his studio is really cool. Is it the, uh, the Blue Wire studio at the Wynn? How do you beat that? You First of all, you're at the Wynn. Say no more. I've never been there before until I went to do. I've never stepped foot inside of the Wynn. It's, it's been the best resort out there for more than 15 years. I think they opened encore about 15 years ago and man, they just, they keep topping themselves. And so does Chris Van Vliet. Go check it out. Insight with Chris Van Vliet. Seriously. Who else has the rock and Ric Flair and Drew McIntyre and the guy Bischoff and Eric Bischoff. Come on now, go check it out. Insight with Chris Van Vliet, wherever you enjoy podcasts or take a look at it on YouTube insight with Chris Van Vliet. Uh, Meltzer would say regarding the rating TNA people are downplaying the importance of the first show rating, even privately, um, TNA people are not expecting it to do particularly well. Their hope is that the attention of doing this Monday special and publicity they've gotten will at least slightly build the Thursday number. But if they do a big number, at least for the first hour, that perhaps Monday would be viable, but the company does expect with Bret Hart on this January 4th raw, the two hours opposed will be a very tough time to draw a good number in, even with Hogan to me, just based on the fact the Thursday number, albeit going against NFL games hurts, hasn't shown any real movement with the company, given the publicity of the Hogan involvement. It's just still not a good sign. They're buying ads on WWE programming in the top local markets based around Hogan. And the theory here is this will be his first time in, and it should lead to one or two weeks of curiosity. Do you remember thinking that, that, hey, we might have a good shot in that first hour, but when they trot bread out, it's downhill for us? No. No. And I guess if I was worried about the rating and competing, you know, hour to hour or minute to minute, I would have probably had that thought. But that wasn't the reason we did it, and I, I, I wasn't concerned about the rating. I wanted it to be as, as big as it could be. I, I wanted that number to be. To, to impress some people and more than anything, I just wanted more people to go, Oh, I didn't even know this thing existed and then come back and follow us on Thursday or whatever. Um, so the fact that I wasn't really concerned about the rating, it, I mean, Dave's right. I don't know who he was talking to. He's probably talking to more than one person at the time, but it wasn't like we were downplaying it and hiding it. We're afraid we're not going to do well. And there's some, you know, skepticism and you know internal debate and all that you know that's the kind of drama narrative that dave likes to print and discuss but it wasn't true here's what it was hey let's let the world know hulk hogan's in tna and let's let the world know tna exists and let's do it by going head to head because we're going to get more publicity just vis-a-vis the comp the the controversy and the, and the competition we're going to get more publicity that we can afford to buy and people that doesn't that don't know we exist will once this is over so the hour to hour worrying about bret hart that just didn't factor into my thought process maybe it did for dixie or or dean broadhead or or somebody else the investment team whatever they may have been I don't know what their thoughts and expectations were, but mine was, I just want to make a lot of noise. Impact opens with Bubba, the love sponge interviewing fans who were all excited about Hulk Hogan coming in. 
The fans are ripping on WWE, which was fun. I personally think the direct attacks at the leader by a secondary group works in wrestling. That's according to Dave Meltzer here. Oh, 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 let's say that again. I'd like to hear that again. I personally think the direct attacks at the leader by a secondary group in wrestling works. That didn't age well, did it? How so? That's what AEW has been doing since day one. It hasn't done them any favors. Did the- hasn't grown their audience. And in, in, in that case, I, I submit, Your Honor, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit that it's actually hurt them. I think Dave is 180 degrees from being on the money. I think he couldn't be more wrong. You're a secondary promotion. Are, are you, who, who, who are you? Have you, is, what? You're not feeling well. I feel, I feel fine. <laughs> Why? This is what you did. No, but I went head to head. There is the people tend to forget about that when they do with the dairy. Time out, time out, time out. We're not talking about AEW. We're talking about the fact that when Impact did it here, you poked fun at it. But it's literally what you did on Nitro. You would go on Nitro as the challenger brand of WWF, they're number one, you're number two, and right. you would give their results. Yep. And you would, you would undermine their show. You would shit on it. Yep. And then eventually you beat them and you passed them. Well, I was going head to head. Yes. Yes. And now this show is head to head. Yes. You know, we're talking about is head to head and they're mocking the WWE. Meltzer says it's good. And you're like, nope. No, it's, it was the right thing to do in that instance because we were trying to create the controversy that would help create the awareness, but we were going head-to-head. My position with regard to AEW is that they're going after number one and they're taking shots at number one, but they're not willing to go head-to-head. There's a big difference between the two situations. And if you can't see that, it's because you choose not to. No, it's it's you have selective memory. You have this incredible ability, much like Ric Flair, to compartmentalize shit and just tuck it away and forget it ever existed. And I love you for that. That's a healthy way to live life. But Lord, let's don't act like WWE didn't go out of their way to go head to head with AEW with their NXT brand. And you're going to say, oh, it's developmental. It's not the same. It's not. AEW never tried to go head to head. WWE tried to challenge their brand and got their ass beat week in and week out. That's the way it happened. They got their ass beat with a developmental crew that was competing against the Chris Jericho's of the world and some of the biggest names in the business. I don't no, think that, I don't think that's a I don't even think that's that it's not even apples to apples. They did it with one Chris Jericho, not the Chris Jerichos, but a a handful of guys who you never saw any talent or value in, in the young bucks and impact and never pushed. And they did it with Sammy Guevara, who had never been even a developmental talent for WWE and Cody Rhodes that WWE valued so much at the time. They dressed him up like a fucking goof. Like they, they did it with a ragtag group of talent based on your metric of they were never in WWE. And that they, was, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never said that. Where, where, when did that ever come out of my you mouth? Said, you said the Chris Jericho's of the world. Well, what that implies, oh, well, they were just 
they were just using the big stars from yesteryear. You mean like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and Sammy Guevara and MJF and and and? Come on now. Yeah, and and look, a lot of those guys had established a, a pretty decent following on the independent scene. People knew who they were, and they were competing against talent that very few people had ever heard of in NXT. They were development developmental talent, and still are. And by the way, at this rate. NXT is probably going to deliver more ratings than Dynamite does by midsummer. There's my oh my god, we just made fun of Chris Jericho for saying that. Now you're doing it again. Would you just listen to you? No, you I, just... don't listen to me. Look at Brandon Thurston, who does such a great job putting out all kinds of graphs and graphics to support whatever he's trying to support. Puts one out every time the ratings come out. Go take a look. Take a look at Dynamite's ratings. Take a look at NXT's ratings and tell me how far apart they are currently. They're not. And if, if the trend that you can see visually, thanks to Brandon Thurston, continues, my prediction for 2023, one of the top ones, by the way, tune into Strictly Business this week because I'm going to go through a whole list of business-related predictions. But my prediction, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month and a half ago, my prediction is that NXT is going to outperform Dynamite unless things change pretty quickly. There's about zero chance of that. Want to bet? Yeah, I would love to bet. What would you like? What would you like the stakes to be? You're, you're big on stakes and wrestling. Let's put stakes on it. Yeah. My, your stakes are bigger than my stakes. Oh, come on I now. Have, I don't, I don't have a lot of stake to bet with, but, oh, but I'll think of something. Maybe I'll think of something good. I'll think yeah, of something. Yeah. I want fun. a fun payoff. I don't want anybody to write each other a check. I want something fun. Ha ha. Let's get back to the show here though. Uh, I feel like, you know what, before we do that, I need to send your ass packing. Maybe it's time for you to go camping. Maybe you need to go to campermax.com. I'm excited to introduce you guys to a whole new family opportunity of building memories year round. Maybe it's on your new year's resolution list to build some more memories with the family. Well, our friends at camper max can help with that. Specializing in max discounted pricing on travel trailers and fifth wheel RVs delivered anywhere in the lower 48. That's right. From your office, your cell phone, or your couch, click or call and find out how easy it is to start enjoying the RVing lifestyle. How easy is it? Well, the camper max discount will fit any budget offering easy financing with extended terms. It really is just too easy. Visit CamperMax.com. There's two X's in max C A M P E R M A X X.com or give them a shout at two, five, six, three, two, zero, seven, zero, three, three. These guys are longtime friends of mine. Anytime I've needed an RV, maybe heard my crew going to a show or pay-per-view or a live event and rolling up, uh, 10 deep. Well, we called my man, Rod Wagner over at camper max and he made it happen. He'll take care of you too. Just be sure to mention my name. Just mention Conrad. You get that old friends of a friend deal. It's CamperMax.com. C A M P E R M A X X.com. By the way, if you're looking to purchase a motorhome, hang in there. My buddy Rod is working on that now campermax.com let's talk about the first match on the show here uh it's a steel asylum x division match chris sabian alex shelley homicide jay lethal consequences creed suicide amazing red by the way consequences creed is xavier woods of new day he was here way back when who knew uh you got a whole bunch of guys doing a whole bunch of moves and then homicide gets stuck 
at the top of the cage. This is a regrettable deal here, man. We're supposed to be trying to climb out of this cage. Homicide's supposed to figure out a way to escape. Instead, he just winds up dangling here at the top of the cage. It's a mess. And it feels like time stands still. I think it's 72 seconds of live TV where just nothing happens. No one knows what to do. Maybe one of the most awkward moments in wrestling history here. No, maybe there's been so many, you'd have to really do some research on that, but it was awkward. It was, you know, I was overbooked. Everybody trying to get down and a lot of it. Look, it's enthusiasm, excitement, people doing things that maybe they haven't done a lot of in the past, probably shouldn't be doing on a live show. Um, but a lot of that is just, you know, it's excitement and enthusiasm. It's unfortunate. Inexperience throws, throw some inexperience in there as well. It's, uh, it's unfortunate to say the least. I feel so bad for homicide. I recently talked about this or not recently, but not too long ago with, um, Jeff Jarrett and my goodness, it was so you just feel for him. I watched this live and felt bad for him. And eventually he climbs down, walks out the door. He's attacked by Jeff Hardy. Jeff is debuting here. Big surprise. Nails homicide with a chair to the head and a twist of fate. And then he climbs to the top of the cage. So listen, we had a good idea. Let's throw some guys out there like Jay lethal and suicide and amazing red, and all these super athletic guys, let them do their thing with this monstrosity of a cage and Let's debut Jeff Hardy, and then it just... You know what? I bet you it would have worked. And, and again, I didn't lay that match out. I wasn't involved in it. I was. I didn't hear one syllable of the discussion about that match in terms of how it was going to be laid out. I didn't even get involved in the finish. or I didn't, It wasn't in my world to spend any time thinking about who's going to win and who's going to lose. Um. I think, though, that this match probably would have turned out better had there been half as many people involved. Right. It's just, it's just, it's just, it, those matches are always difficult. There's so much going on. It's hard for the audience to really care and get into anything because it's like, you know, it's like looking through what a kaleidoscope. And there's just so many moving pieces and colors and lights. And, blah, and it's hard to get emotionally invested in anything. And the potential for something to get screwed up is pretty high, as we saw here. But that same match with with that talent, because there's a lot of great talent in that in that ring, that same match with maybe half as many people, probably we'd be having a different conversation about it now, is my guess. Uh, Meltzer would say later Hardy and Shannon Moore celebrated. And there was another scene late in the show that looked so bad. Hardy and Moore were leaving and three teenage girls came out screaming like they had seen a rock star. During the show, Hardy did a painting and gave one of the girls the painting and kissed her on the cheek. She freaked and left and he left. And it was reported that Hardy signed a short-term deal, but others say this was similar to the original appearance of Bobby Lashley, where they put him on with no contract. One friend of Hardy's noted to us that he was led to believe this would be a one-time deal and that Hardy had come home from Orlando and did not appear on the TV show tape the next day. And he did not sign a contract. As coincidence would have it, Hardy's appearance came on the same day that the grand jury in Moore County 
officially indicted Hardy based on his September 11th arrest. Police came to Hardy's home in Cameron, North Carolina, and claimed they found 262 Vicodin pills, 180 Soma pills, 555 milliliters of anabolic steroids, and residue of powdered cocaine and drug paraphernalia with a street value of $2,500. So listen, we got a guy who's in a lot of legal trouble here. We're putting him on TV. But maybe the thing that has wrestling fans scratching their heads the most is you're doing it without a contract. Did you know that? Or is this just rumor? I I didn't, did not know that. Meltzer would say they kept showing a limo driving down the interstate with a police escort as Hogan is on his way to the building, which led to some comedy later. Kevin Nash did a promo noting that he's the smartest man in wrestling, but that Hogan was his mentor. And he said every company Hogan had ever worked for, he'd been the number one guy, another guy who slept through the entire period from 1998 to 2000. So that's Dave Meltzer's commentary on it. Uh, what do you think about the, the inside baseball references of he's always been the number one guy, but he was my mentor. Is that too inside for you? Or is that just, is that okay? Is there a line, I guess, where we're doing the, the work shooting insider lingo? I know some people are all the way against it. Others say a little here, there is okay. Where is the line? Does one exist? I don't know things have changed so much, right? I mean, there's so much social media and, and, you know, Conrad, if, if someone could accurately, not just using anecdotal information, but accurately provide the number of people that watch wrestling, but also engage in, Oh, let's call it, one hour a week worth of wrestling social media, wherever you, whatever, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I would be really interested in that number. You know, I've always believed in, 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 well, when I was active in the business, my theory was that 10% of the people that watch wrestling actually read dirt sheets or the internet or subscribe to wrestling websites and things like that. I don't know. Maybe it's 50%. I, I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody else does either. People will have opinions like I did when I always thought it was 10%. I didn't have any basis for that. Really? It was just like my gut telling me that. Um, but now I don't know what that percentage is. And if the percentage of people that are engaging in professional wrestling dialogue on social media, if that number is more than 10 or 15%, then I think you've got to kind of appeal to that culture. You, you've got to acknowledge it and dropping a little bit of the inside, you know, terminology and making that percentage of the audience feel like maybe they're a little more knowledgeable than the average person. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think you could go too far with it and, and do it at times when it's not really effective. Um, but I I don't know if I knew the if I knew the answer to how many people that watch WWE for example every Monday night or every Friday night how many of those people actually spend at least one hour in social media on wrestling if that number is high then I think you have to cater to them if it's ten percent or five percent or three percent then I think it's really stupid to cater to them 
But I don't know. And I'm not sure anybody else does either. I know what's next here on the show. It's ODB wrestling Terra. Uh, they are doing a, going to have the, uh, knockouts title on the line here. ODB was over like Rover in this era with the TNA crowd and the knockouts division was obviously doing really, really good ratings. Um, Meltzer says evidently she pulled too much of the trunks down because the camera wouldn't shoot the pin. So maybe there was a, a little bit of accidental wardrobe malfunction. Tara uses the widow's peak on her after the match, put the tarantula on her. I sure hope Hogan's revolutionary booking plan isn't that one guy wins. And then the loser lays out the winner after the match, causing nobody to get over. You can tell Meltzer just approaches anything Hogan related with a tone and negativity. Um, but still ODB on your first show here, she's the second match and in a featured spot, Jeff and I've talked about it before. A lot of times in business and in life, timing is everything. And goodness gracious, ODB was maybe a little ahead of her time. Like that character resonated. I don't know. I just think if she was coming along today, buddy, she'd have a buzz big time. Would she not? She would. And I, I dig her. You know, I saw her at Russellcade and she gave me her book, by the way. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to start reading that here in the next couple of days. But um, she had, she was real. She was relatable. You know, when you had the rest of the, you know, you had the beautiful people and you, you know, every, a lot of the women in, in, in wrestling at that time were, you know, they were hot and they knew they were hot. Many of them were, and they relied on that, you know, the physical appearance and the sexuality that was kind of, you know, coming off the WWE diva thing. And, that was the nature of women's wrestling at that time, generally speaking. And here you have someone that comes along and she is the exact opposite of all of that. And she, and on top of that, she's got a voice like the crusher, which I just think is so sexy and cool. She was tough. She sounded tough. She looked tough and she believed in that character. She was very real, which is why she did so well. And I agree with you, Conrad. I think if, you know, timing was a little different. She came storming out, you know, in WWE or AEW today. I think she still has a lot to offer. I don't know where she, her head is at. I don't know where she's at physically, if she can work or if she even wants to work anymore. But she could cut a promo and she could make you believe. So you're about 75% there already. Now, if you can just finish it off with some great action in the ring, you're, you're making money today. And I, I can't say enough good things about her. She's very cool. She was then. She had a great. She's very independent-minded, by the way. She she was not a. Uh, my impression of her was that she didn't she didn't play the politics. She really didn't. She she was she was fun to work with, a real pro, and I agree with you. I think timing would have been a little different. We'd be having a whole different conversation about it. So Eric, the next thing on the show here is we're going to see a limo come and Ric Flair is going to step out. He's going to shake hands with Eric young and beer money, and then go into AJ's dressing room. And Meltzer would say, who would have believed in 2010 Flair came across this on this show as a bigger star than Hardy Flair signed his deal a few days before the show. His deal was for 65 appearances over one year. It's believed he was working on a guaranteed money deal. Plus he would be able to book his own outside appearances whether they be public appearances or the various companies he work for works for outside of other business deals. So listen, in the first 30 minutes of the show, you got Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Jeff Hardy. We've loaded it up 
is is there almost maybe in hindsight too much of that or is this more of a statement we're drawing a line in the sand we're planting the flag one of those tired old sayings look the goal from the get-go was to make as much noise as possible and to do that you bring in the people that can help make that noise and rick flair was at the top of that list right right behind hulk hogan jeff hart i think i think rick flair and jeff hardy both were right there um no, I don't think it was too much. It would have been too much if we planned initially on going head to head for the next six months, then you'd probably want to pace things out a little differently, but that wasn't the plan going in. So Christy Hemi's outside of the building talking to fans and uh, Mick Foley is going to show up and she reminds me that he's been banned. He says he got the memo, uh, but he came anyway. And then of course he's not allowed in here, but still we're trying to get star power on the program. We're checking those boxes. And then Bobby and Crystal Lashley come out. Crystal does all the talking at saying basically that pro wrestling is beneath Bobby and far more low class than MMA. Of course, that gets a lot of heat. What do you think of Crystal as a character? Uh, boy, I had such little interaction with her. It's hard to really remember. She was, <clears throat> Bobby was easy. Bobby was like working with butter. He was so easy. I'm, I'm talking about backstage, right? Um, just classy, easy, professional. Crystal was not. She was a little hard to deal with. And she kind of ran that show. So that created a little bit of tension. As time went on, you know, um, she got in the way of Bobby's career. Not that it hurt Bobby at all. Obviously, TNA was not going to be where Bobby was going to end up. But she, Bobby, <laughs> I actually fired Bobby Lashley in TNA. It wasn't my decision to fire him. I was just voted the guy to go tell him. Do you hmm. believe that? And it was really because of her, not because of Bobby. I don't know if it was Dixie that won. It had to be Dixie. Dixie somebody, made the, somebody made the decision that it was time for Bobby to go, but nobody wanted to go tell him. So I got I got nominated. It's like, yeah, I'll, it's not my decision to fire him. I'm just giving him the bad news. I, I don't care. But it was not because of Bobby. It was because of her. Did you tell him that? No. No. Do you think I should have? I'm asking. Um, yeah, I probably should have, right? But I, again, I, I wasn't involved in the conversation. I, I don't even know why they were fired him. Well, I had a sense because creative was just difficult with her, and not with Bobby, but with her. And I, so I, I kind of, I could put two and two together. I understood why whoever was making the decision made the decision, and I think in retrospect, yeah, I should have been more honest about that. But I think because I didn't really know why the decision was made, I didn't want to get into the conversation. Last thing I would want Bobby to do is, well, what can I do differently? Because <laughs> I, I wasn't a part of the discussion in terms of letting him go. And I guess I could have said, Bobby, the, the process is just too cumbersome with your beautiful wife here uh, involved, and we've made a decision that you'd be better off somewhere else. I could have and probably should have done that, but I, I didn't. I was just 
pretty straightforward with going to let you go. How did he take it? Great. He, I don't think he was surprised actually. If he, if he was, he certainly didn't sell it. Um, it was a very, I don't want to say cordial, but it was a very calm business-like matter of fact, like conversation. There was no emotion in it whatsoever. Well, next up, we see Velvet Sky, Madison Rain, and Lacey Von Eric uh, playing uh, strip poker backstage. Sky, in fact, notes they're doing it for ratings. Meltzer says, evidently, nobody learned from the ratings of that mud wrestling deal. Then again, if these guys learned from their mistakes, we would have never had WCW's last. Oh, few. God, is he just. I don't know. Well, whatever. Scott Hall and Sean Waltman are trying to get in. They're denied entrance. Uh, Meltzer would say evidently they have more experience sneaking into buildings because they were inside within minutes and it took Foley more than two hours to get in, which is funny. Hogan finally arrives, comes out for a promo. He's the NWO Hogan with the black sideburns and black outfit gets a big reaction from the fans. And, uh, they're just a few weeks away from when styles and, and Daniels were tearing it up and the crowd was chanting here, fuck Hulk Hogan. And, and now here we are with a big reaction. I guess it's just. You know, you're getting that star pop, baby. Uh, Brooke and Jennifer both shown in the crowd. Hogan's going to give a pep talk about how NWA or, or TNA rather is going to be number one. Eh. Uh, and then he talked about how he spent all day in the back talking to talent. As a reminder, we just showed him in a limo arriving. <laughs> well, he spent all day and then he drove down. He had to go back to Tampa to get yeah. some Mexican food. And yes. make it back to the building on time. So you just got to be a little careful about being too critical here. You don't know what actually went on all day long. <laughs> Hall and Waltman jump the rail. Hogan not only tells security to let him do so, but then he gives him a mic. And Hall and Waltman are acting like they want to relive WCW. Hogan says he's not going to allow them to ruin this company. And Meltzer would say, I can't believe they're still booking angles for 1% of their viewing audience. <laughs> now that's really funny. That's really funny. That cracks me up. Another booker of the year. Two times. <laughs> Hogan said that this time they have to do the right thing for business. And Nash comes out and says, Hogan's been talking differently on the phone to him. And then out you come. And you guys talk about how all of us together change the business. We took on an 800 pound gorilla and threw him in a monkey cage and this eventually leads to you guys tearing up the script and we're gonna, I don't know where we're going with this. Do you remember being in the ring and feeling like this was a major happening just because you were there or did you have the creative in mind? I mean, when Hogan asked for a format. It feels like we're just acknowledging, okay, here's our phony wrestling show and then tears up the script. And he says something like anyone here who can't wrestle or talk should go up North. This is too inside baseball. Is it not? Yeah. I, I didn't like it then. And I, I like it even less now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that scene didn't really, I mean, I understand. It's hard for me to remember the process or the conversation regarding the creative 
that led up to that scene because it was a minute ago. But the way you just laid that out, it it didn't make any sense. It was a bad it was a bad creative choice. You listen, you crushed it. You did a great job on this segment, but I just feel like, man, we're talking about format. And and Meltzer would say, I guess they had been advertising a barbed wire match for earlier in the show. And one of you was supposed to say, we're not doing stupid gimmick matches. It's just going to be a wrestling match. Um, I, I get that we're, we're saying, Hey, we're hitting the reset button, but this feels, I don't know, self-serving. It doesn't feel like it has the audience. Yeah, in it, it, it was, self, it was, I honestly think what happened is Hulk probably got a little lost yeah. out there and just started ad living and getting through it. Yeah. Um, that would be my guess because it, that wasn't the intention. I don't believe that would have been the intention going in. The intention going in is look, we're here to, we're going to shake things up. You know, we're going to, we're going to, whatever you used to seeing, you ain't going to see that anymore. It's a, it's a new day. It's a new, new world. That was the intention. But even that, isn't that a mistake? It I feels guess in hindsight, me. maybe you could say it was, but at that time, again, if your goal is to, you know, bringing in Ric Flair, you're bringing in Jeff Hardy, you're bringing in Hulk Hogan, you know, he's taking over. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a new and improved TNA. Uh, that was that was the message, or the intention, I guess. Did we probably go too far with it? Sure, I'll, 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 I'll agree to that. Absolutely with that it feels like you're almost saying uh hey you didn't actually watch this shit before right because it was awful but now it's gonna be awesome almost insinuating man if you were dumb enough to like that i mean it just feels like everything that was established which don't get me wrong was not a huge audience and i understand we're trying to grow it but i do feel like sometimes in an effort to try to grow to that lapsed fan, to that new audience. And I understand that well, that's necessary. We're looking for growth, but I don't think along the way we try to take for granted our existing fan base, right? Or crap on, which yeah. is what that basically did. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I, I do think it, it was too much. Look, there's, there's a way to communicate. This is a whole new world. Yeah. And there's a way not to. And we saw the way not to. And what's interesting too, is it feels like we're saying, Hey, this is all new dot, dot, dot. But it's just like he remembered in 1997 <laughs> because we got the NWO here. And we're also, as you guys are exiting the ring, we see staying in the rafters. So this is as NWO WCW as we can possibly feel. And listen, I love the nostalgia. It's the reason we're doing this podcast. It's mixed messaging to say we're the all new shit you saw 15 years ago. I, I could, I could reference sting and up in the rafters and all the things they did with sting and AEW when he returned. Um, yeah, we did that and it still happens today. Oh, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, listen, I love it. I, I'm glad I like, I think they've done a great job using sting the way they have. And that's not really what our topic is. I'm just saying nostalgia in small doses is fantastic but when it's nostalgia but we're 
not really calling it nostalgia. We're saying this is all new shit you've never seen before, <sighs> but it's also nostalgia. It can't be both, right? It's gotta be one or the other. I agree with you. Hard yeah. to defend it. I don't want to. I, agree. I mean, <laughs> there's no reason to defend it. It's it, you're right. You know, in hindsight, probably a number of different ways that this could have been done better. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Nothing man. else to say. Let's talk about Dave. I agree Pinzer. with you. I agree. I agree. When we're coming back from a commercial, we hear Dave Penzer trying to get the crowd riled up. No fault of Dave Penzer. My man's doing his job. He's saying something like, all right, guys, we're going live. So make some noise. Let them hear you in five, four, three, two. And we're live. But we hear all of that on the program. Now, again, not Penzer's fault, but it is one of those unfortunate LOL TNA moments, right? Yeah, it's also, you know, a function of a soundstage. Yeah. You know, and and a production team that wasn't quite as good at live TV as they could have been. That was part of it. Let's talk about the next match here. Awesome Kong and Hamada are going to get a win over Sarita and Taylor Wilde to win the tag titles. Meltzer would say that the first part was a little sloppy, uh, but Kong uses the momentum to uh, nail a, a power bump for the pin. Awesome Kong here was a force. You know, another one of those, we just talked about ODB. I can't help but wonder, man, if she popped up today, she was so amazing and such a great hidden gem of TNA. I mean, if you had never seen her before, you're like, okay, damn, this is different. And she would be tearing it up if she was debuting the day, right? No. Oh, you don't think so? Okay, well, let's hear it. I thought she was great. She had a great look. Okay. She was impressive as hell. She was believable in the ring. But she was difficult to work with. Okay. The seats. And that if she was around today, unless she addressed that, um, cause you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not manageable behind the scenes and by manageable, I mean, when it came to creative and laying out matches and being professional, um, unless you can bring that to the table along with your overpowering personality and your character and all the things you can do in the ring. You're not going to make it. You're not going to last five minutes anywhere. All righty then. More strip poker here on the program. Um, everyone's down to skimpy tops at this point, Meltzer would say. When Val Venus, without a name at this point, showed up in a towel, wanting in the game. More stuff from Foley, unable to get in. He should hang around with Hall. The nasty boys show up at this point, and they also can't get in. And I understand we're trying to load this up with as much talent as we can val venus yeah i don't he didn't last long there either did he i think he was only there for a month no he he didn't last long i Matt just Moore- saw val the other day i saw him at uh russell k2 he looks great by the way he looks he's bigger than i thought he was I used to travel with him all the time back to phoenix he lived in phoenix when i lived in phoenix and we'd after Monday Night Raw, we'd always be in the same plane and, and usually sat either next to each other or close to it. 
I just didn't remember him being that tall, but man, he's a big son of a gun. So is Matt Morgan and Hernandez. They team up to beat Dr. Stevie and Raven in 38 seconds for the top contender ranking in the uh, British invasions tag titles. The invasion are nowhere to be seen on this three hour show. So, uh, 38 seconds. There we go. The Pope does an interview when Orlando Jordan shows up holding one of those little cans of five hour energy. Jordan notes that, uh, Pope reminded him of himself and Meltzer says, I don't think Pope knew that meant he had no charisma and nobody cared about him. De Niro called him Whoopi Goldberg since Jordan was sporting a Whoopi hairdo. I'm guessing 95% of the audience had no idea who this guy was, but thankfully Taz came out to the rescue and mentioned his name was Orlando Jordan. Orlando Jordan, of course, had been on WWE TV, but I don't know that he was maybe the most notable character. Uh, are you just trying to throw it all against the wall and see what sticks here? Do you think? Not really. I liked Orlando. I, I saw a lot of, and I, I'm not the one that hired him. I didn't make the decision to bring him in. But when I found out he was coming in, I was pretty excited. I worked with Orlando, not directly worked with him, but I, I worked in WWE when Orlando was being featured on television. And I, I don't know. I just saw something in him. I, I, I saw a, 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 a more interesting character in him. And athletic, I mean, technically, athletically, he was a really gifted athlete. Yes. I, think, you know, I, don't, I can't remember his background. He was either a highly ranked amateur wrestler or, 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 or a boxer. I can't remember which. Maybe both. Um, but I just like the way he carried himself again. When I had talked to him, whether it was in WWE or even in, in, in TNA while he was there, just a really open-minded talent when it came to creative, he was willing to try and explore and do things that were not, you know, not necessarily in his comfort zone. I, I, I liked him and I was excited about him. I, I wished he would have found a little bit more traction in TNA, even if it would have meant that he would have meant that he would have been able to get back to WWE where he could have actually made some money. But uh, I know I, I thought a lot of him. I stayed in touch with him up until probably a couple of years ago. You were right on both counts, by the way, badass amateur wrestler in Boise state going to win the, the state championship as well. Uh, and he even was an, an amateur boxer. So a pretty legit badass in his own right. He was a legitimate badass. And the thing that I, and I didn't find that out about him until, you know, much later. Uh, I, I think I learned it in WWE, but not until I had known him for a while. But man, when he cared backstage, he was just as humble and polite and easy. He's just a chill dude. And what, to me, that made him even more impressive. You know, when you see people backstage and, you know, trying to strut and, position themselves and kind of find their status in the food chain, so to speak. Um, this guy was just chill as hell. Super confident, super confident guy. Next up, we got the Pope beating Desmond Wolf with a small package in two minutes and 37 seconds. And that's all it took for this crowd to start chanting. This is wrestling. And Meltzer says, what an easy crowd. Uh, Rhino is going to come out and be laid out by a mystery man. Although it appeared the segment was written to show that Bubba the love sponge was the real deal announcer. And Jeremy Vorash is the flunky. I wonder in hindsight, probably too much Bubba on this show. 
Uh, AJ Styles does an interview pushing the pay-per-view where he's defending against Kurt Angle. And then you show up and say the pay-per-view main event is canceled. And now it's going to take place on television. Jeff Jarrett shows up now all clean shaven and talks about how he started the company seven years ago with his own money. And all the critics said he'd be broke in six weeks. And he said he'd been trying to get Hulk Hogan into the company. And he talked about trying to get Hulk for years, but the timing was never right. Those are Hogan's words, which translated means I negotiated several times as a way to get back to WWE each time. Uh, Hogan then showed up on the screen as an apparent heel and said, Jarrett was telling a lie. Jarrett started the company, but ran it in the ground. And it was Dixie Carter that saved this company. And without her, it wouldn't even exist. And there's a loud bullshit chant here from the crowd. And Meltzer says the first time Hogan tells the truth, he gets that chant. <laughs> Hogan said Jarrett had no, no longer had any power. And that now he and Dixie are running the show and they've restructured the company and Jeff is out. But Jeff came to be a wrestler. Hogan said this will allow the younger wrestlers to have a chance. So far on this show, that wasn't exactly the theme, according to Meltzer. There's a lot going on here. What'd you think of this power play on camera here? And some people would argue maybe there was some of this happening in real life too. What'd you think of this creative? It was awkward. Again, I'm, you got to try to put yourself in my shoes. I am so new to this culture in TNA. And I really didn't know who was doing what in the office. I didn't re Jeff was there like in the very beginning when Dixie first started talking to Hulk. Uh, I think the, I think I could be wrong, but I think the first meeting Jeff would know. I can't remember either. He and he, Jeff and Dixie either flew to Tampa and we met or Dixie flew Hulk and I to her home in Nashville. And we met for the first time. I don't remember which one was which. But Jeff was there right from the get-go. The very first conversations with Hulk, Jeff was there. And Hulk always liked Jeff, still does. Yeah. Hulk thinks a lot of Jeff. Um, but I I didn't know who was I didn't know who was pulling the strings. I didn't know who was calling the shots. You know, obviously I knew Jeff was initially, you know, the TNA thing or Impact, whatever it was called, TNA. That was initially Jeff and his dad, right? I, I, I know that because they called me and asked me if I wanted to, would consider being a part of it in the very beginning. And I found out that the business model was just monthly pay-per-views or weekly pay-per-views. And I politely said, thank you, but no, thank you. Um, and I knew that there had been some financial issues. I knew about, uh, who's the guy from Hell South? They got tagged in. Richard Scrooge. Scrooge, yeah. And I knew about that because of Jason Hervey. Jason Jason and I were business partners at the time, and Jason used to work for, for Scrooge. Richard Scrooge loved Jason. Gave him a VP title, I think VP of marketing, access to the corporate jet. It was, it was a great gig for Jason for a little while until it all hit the fan. Um, so by the time Dixie became part of the company i wasn't clear on who was financing who was funding who was ultimately calling the shots which means that that scene was i liked it because it was kind of raw and drew a little blood which i think is necessary if you're cutting a promo on somebody you're trying to to establish a story and a premise you 
you got to get people to listen to you. And drawing blood like that, kind of, as they used to say, shooting on the square, is is a can be a good way to do that. But I wasn't comfortable enough w- with what was really going on behind the scenes to know if it was a good idea or a bad idea, if that makes sense to you. I, w- I wasn't sure what Jeff's role was at that point in time. I found out later, you know, there, there was some tension between Jeff and Dixie, but I didn't know where it started or how it manifests. So I was just kind of tiptoeing around trying to figure out the lay of the land. You said they weren't in the best uh, financial position once upon a time. Well, if you're not in the best financial position, ma'am, recommend savewithconrad.com. This time of year is the time of year everybody needs to uh, skip a little bit of house payment love, right? It's your single biggest bill. And some of us are reeling from our holiday spending, not just the travel, not just the extra meal preparation, but you got to get all these gifts for people. And man, it's just, uh, it's expensive, especially if you got little kids, right? And now, of course, we're starting the new year out. So there's probably new year's resolutions like save money and get out of debt. We can check both of those boxes at savewithconrad.com. Now you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Sincerely, we can help you even if you've had bankruptcies in the past or you've had a late payment here or there. You see, we don't believe in saying no. We say not yet, but here's how. So maybe you do need a little bit of work. Man, we'll coach you up. We'll get you there. We want to make your dream of paying your house off, owning it free and clear, retiring on time, helping your kids get through college without student loans. Let's make that a reality. But in order to do that, you got to have a plan. And the plan starts at savewithconrad.com. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. Your single biggest bill every month is your house payment. What if you got to pocket that for January and for February, you're done until March 1st. Maybe you already paid January's payment. Well, let's skip, let's skip February and March. No payments to April. How's that sound? We can make it happen for you and get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. And here's the reality. Once you owe this debt, it's up to you how you pay it back. And what are you paying on your credit cards right now? 19, 29%, whatever it is, you know, it's too much. So if you can get a better interest rate, a cheaper monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments, why wouldn't you do that? Find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. And listen, don't just take my word for it. Go read our reviews, conradreviews.com. You'll see one five-star review after another. Our average rating over there is 4.72 stars. Think about that. That is pretty, pretty, pretty good. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, start saving some cash for yourself right now. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you can do it too at savewithconrad.com. So listen, uh, Christopher Daniels does a promo, gets a few words out and Borash comes out and they basically treat Daniels like he's nothing because Foley was coming in. Uh, and then we get Samoa Joe beating Abyss with a choke in four minutes and 41 seconds. This was billed as the first time they had ever wrestled. Of course, that's not true. Uh, but very early on, we see that Hulk is behind Abyss. What was it about Abyss that Hulk Hogan saw money in? Was it just the size? I think it was a combination of things. First of all, it's, Chris is a very talented guy. Was then, probably still is. And and is currently a producer in WWE. Or at least he was last time I stuck my head in the door. And is doing a great job from everything that I've heard. But Chris, yeah, he was a big guy. And Hulk, for obvious reasons, liked big guys. It's what always worked in the past, you know, in Hulk's career. It's what he was most comfortable with. But I think more of it had to do with Chris's personality and 
willingness to listen and learn, that's an understatement. Holy smokes, that's an understatement. He was a sponge, man. And Chris would spend as much time as he could possibly squeeze out of Hulk trying to learn. Just, I think he looked at Hulk as a mentor, but he was very respectful, very professional, and, and talented on top of it. And they just hit it off. They just, I mean, they became very good friends very, very quickly. Well, I mean, I think that's cool. I mean, I think everybody knows, likes, and respects the best that's worked with him. I just, uh, I don't think a lot of people would have seen that coming, but maybe they should have with the size. Well, you know, I... <sighs> I'm, you know, I see Chris Park every once in a while. Anytime I go back to WWE, which you know only happens a couple of times a year, but when I see Chris, I, I get the. He's a very sensitive guy, by the way. Chris Park is a very, very sensitive person, and I think I've been somewhat critical of the Abyss character. I just never, I never liked it. I never thought it was money. I had nothing to do with Chris Park or Chris Park's talent and abilities. I just thought that character was such a Kmart blue light special um, McFoley ripoff, Mankind ripoff, that I just never believed it could really work. Had had Chris Park come out with the Abyss character before we saw what we saw in a McFoley with Mankind, I'd have probably been excited about it. But every time I saw Chris, regardless of how talented he was in the ring, I'm thinking the audience is going to perceive this as just a low-rent ripoff. Now, that sounds harsh and cold. It is what it is. But if you go back and you watch Chris Park when he became the attorney, what a talented, talented man. He did a phenomenal job with that character. And I think a lot of the reason that Hulk liked Chris as much as he did is because, again, super respectful, a sponge, wanted to learn, but had amazing talent. I just think too much of that talent was wasted early on with that Abyss character. But that's just, yeah, it's just me. Uh, beer money is laid out. Bubba, the love sponge said he knew who was doing it, but he didn't bother to alert the authorities. Uh, the nasty boys are trying to get in Bubba tells security that, Hey, they're friends with Hogan. They should be let in. Uh, Hardy and more are leaving the building. They both have envelopes. This is where the teenage girls come up and hooting and hollering. And the nasty boys run into team 3d's dressing room and spray paint nasty boys all over the wall and photos. And the nasty boys note that 3d was in Japan. So some guys bring them some donuts. They shove the guys, the donuts fly everywhere. Then they pick them up off the floor and start eating them. It's not all winners here. AJ styles is going to pin. That was, it was a nice subtle shot. Dude, they're not all winners. <laughs> AJ styles is going to pin Kurt angle to keep the TNA title in 22 minutes and five seconds. There's a masked man who gets involved early on. And later it's revealed it's Tomco. So yet another big surprise, uh, flair is going to come out during the match and everyone stops paying attention to the match and instead starts paying attention to flair. So flair leaves and people stop paying attention and then watch flair leave. Most would say, even with these handicaps, the match still delivered. 
There was even a, this is wrestling chant that was done. And as the bout heated up, there was a, who needs Brett chant angle kicks out of styles, uh, styles clash twice. But after a third one styles follows up with a springboard 450 and gets the pin. Meltzer dug it, gave it four stars. No doubt about it. This is a strength. AJ styles and Kurt angle, arguably in 2010 are the two best wrestlers in the world. And this is something that tries. They might WWE probably can't do on their station. I dug this, but it is a little odd to have the Tomcos and the flares. Maybe in hindsight, we should have just let them go have a kick-ass wrestling match. AJ Styles, phenomenal athlete, saw that right away. It was fun to watch from the get-go, and I, I really hadn't watched a lot of AJ or any AJ, to be very honest about it, until I got there, and super impressed with him in terms of what he could do in the ring. Him and Kurt Angle, I mean, come on. that It, it, it was an amazing combination of talent. Um, that's my impression. You know, I, I was a little concerned about AJ's look at that time. Um, he had that, you know, boy next door, howdy doody kind of look that didn't quite match what he was capable of doing in the ring, but that was a minor thing. That was just an observation. Um, but super excited to see Kurt and AJ together and really impressed when I did. Hogan comes out and says that styles and angle are the two best wrestlers in the world. And then he stops when he gets word that Foley has arrived and Foley shows up in the strip poker room. Everybody's dressed exactly as they were before. So I guess they've been playing and no one's lost a hand. And then he makes his way into his own office, but it's all been revamped. And now you're sitting in his chair and all the old Foley stuff is down. And you tell him that he's no longer an executive shareholder. And if he wants to stay, it's going to be as a wrestler. And Foley said he's come to grips that he would work for Hogan, but he would never work for you. And he acts like he's going to slug him. So at least there's something that he'll get fired for. But Paul and Nash and Waltman instead lay out Foley, at which point Hogan shows up and the show ends. So the main event uh, for the world title, you know, the, the AJ Styles, Kurt Angle, Circum, that's, that's not what finishes the show. It's this story which i get i mean i'm all for it it's a cliffhanger that's how tv works correct the cliffhanger of where are we going what's next blah 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 but it's largely between non-wrestlers eric bischoff's not wrestling hulk hogan's not wrestling mick foley's not really wrestling and now we're gonna stir it all up here i don't know just talk me through it like a cliffhanger that pays off with matches with full-time professional wrestlers because Foley was originally going to be doing at this point, like non non wrestling, just speaking role stuff. And that's kind of what flair's coming in for. And I think Hogan's coming in for, and I don't know, talk me through the, the, the thinking of we're going to have a cliffhanger, but with non wrestlers. Well, those non wrestlers with the exception of obviously Sean Waltman and Scott Hall at the time, um, those, non-wrestlers probably had more equity as characters than the entire rest of the than many people on the rest of the show combined. So yeah, would you want to do that every week? No. But given the mission, which was to create as much awareness, controversy, buzz, whatever you want to call it, having that 
particular room full of talent um, who collectively had drawn a lot of money and a lot of ratings for a lot of years was a decision that everybody felt comfortable with. And you can criticize it, you can analyze it, um, and you might be able to argue that it wasn't the best idea. I may agree with that, I may not, but it made sense at the time. It was story. Look, I've always, I say this all the time. I've been saying it for decades now. It's all about the story. You know, for guys like, you know, D-bag Dave Meltzer, yeah, it's about the wrestling. If you're going to appeal to that dirt sheet wrestling fan, yeah, it's all about the wrestling. But the other 90%, until somebody proves me wrong, of the audience is into the story, and they're not looking at it from the same perspective as D-bag. They're just, they're not. It's, is the story interesting? Do I want to watch it next week because of what I just saw? If the answer to that is yes, you win. And I don't think the average audience looked at that finish of that television show as anything other than entertaining and something that that at least would make them interested in what was going to happen next week. And that was the goal. We get so caught up. I get, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to be really careful about what I say here because it gets so misinterpreted. But, you know, if, if you're, if the focus of your product is match quality at the expense of legitimate, well-constructed, disciplined storytelling and character development, then you're going to appeal to an audience that is never going to grow because only a certain percentage of the audience cares about that. And that was the problem TNA had, right? They, they, they needed to grow their audience. And the decision was made, and I think rightfully so, that by involving a lot of these big, and by the way, you know, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff didn't bring in all these ex WWE guys, although Hulk obviously had a lot to do with Ric Flair and Jeff Hardy, but a lot of the, you know, Kurt Angle was already there. Mankind was already there. Sting was already there. Dusty Rhodes had already been in and out. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had already been in and out. You know, there was a lot of former WWE talent that were in and out of there and still there by the time Hulk and I got there but it wasn't working. So this was an attempt to try to make it work by focusing more on story and less on homegrown talent. (laughs) I used to hate that. These guys are not corn on the cob and potatoes and tomatoes. You're not selling fruit and vegetables on the side of the road. Quit calling them homegrown talent. And by the way, the audience doesn't care. The audience you're trying to build doesn't really care if they started in TNA or if they came from somewhere else. Not, not to the degree that the culture in TNA did. Like, that was the most important thing. That's where we're going to hang our hat on. We got the best homegrown talent. I'm sorry, you're the only ones that care, truthfully. So this was an attempt to do something different, different than, right? If they didn't have homegrown talent, wouldn't people say you're just hiring WWE rejects? There's nothing wrong with having talent that you've developed and that started and that made their name for themselves. AJ Styles is a perfect example. Beer Money's another perfect example. I'm sure there are others. I know there are. I'm just not going to name them all. Please don't be offended, those of you out there who are friends of mine who fall into that category. It's, there's nothing wrong with that, it. and it's a great thing. 
But it's not the most important thing. It's just really not. It was to most of the culture in TNA. I never understood that. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, the peak rating of impact at 9 PM, just as raw went on the air, hit 3.36 million viewers, which Meltzer would say is quite the tremendous size audience for TNA, a full 18%, about 600,000 viewers tuned out while the skit was in the ring with Hogan Bischoff, Nash Hall, and Waltman still going on. Once that skit ended by the 10, 15 mark, which was during a commercial 63% of the people watching at 9 PM were gone being left with 1.2 million. Most came back after the break. For instance, at one point during the finish of the Taylor Wilde and Sarita versus awesome Kong and Hamada match, there were 2.9 people, 2.9 million people watching while raw had Miz hitting on Maurice. He closed that deal, by the way, if you're curious. <laughs> uh, when did he ever the final raw numbers were a 3.62 rating and 5.62 million viewers it's the most viewers raw has done since the day after SummerSlam, with floyd mayweather as a guest host that did 5.86 million viewers that was also a show against preseason football as opposed to a highly rated football game we had here a bowl game that was going head to head um do you remember you know, being impressed with the final rating for impact here, a 1.44 rating, 2.19 million viewers. The old rating was 1.34 and the old audience record was 1.97 million viewers. So you're up from 1.97 million to 2.19, but it's also the most hyped and it's head to head when it all comes down. what do you think? Success or no? Yeah, it served its purpose. It did exactly what it was intended to do. I, I, I mean, there's no other way to analyze it, you know, yeah. to, 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 on a Monday night, even, yes, against preseason football, but you're up against the 25 year incumbent at that point in the powerhouse of WWE to deliver 2.1 million viewers going head to head. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't disappointed. Wasn't disappointed at all. Let's do a few questions. Then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know, was this a necessary move in order for TNA to grow or a big mistake? Oh, I don't think it was either. I, I, I think it was a move. There was, and it wasn't like we have to do this. You know, this company's never going to grow. It was one of a series of major steps that I felt and Hulk felt was necessary if TNA wanted to reach the goals that they had suggested to us, I mean, that, that, that's it. it. It wasn't, if we don't do this, it'll never work. It was okay. Let's let everybody know we're here. You know, we, we've got to let, we've got to let the world know TNA exists beyond the 1.5 million, probably people that watched on average at that point or 1.7, whatever it was. Um, we've got to let, People other than that audience know we're here. We need to do it in an entertaining way. We need to create as much buzz and much hype as we possibly can, where we need to let everybody know that there are stars that are here now that weren't here before, major stars with high equity still at that time. Um, and in that respect, I think we checked every one of those boxes. Hyperjewel wants to know, what was the thinking of bringing Bubba the Love Spines to TNA? Who thought of this idea? Who, who do you think? I mean, 
It's a good question. I don't mean to make light of the question. Thank you for asking it, by the way. But it was Hulk's idea. But here's the thing. Now, I didn't, I, I didn't support this. I didn't fight it. It was Hulk's choice. I probably expressed an opinion or two along the way, privately. But the reason I probably didn't get too dug in is because Bubba had one of the most popular radio shows on Sirius at the time. He was, I mean, he worked for, he was one of Howard Stern's guys. His, his show was doing phenomenal numbers and had a phenomenal audience. Bubba himself was a ridiculous machine. I went to his studio once, which is in kind of a warehouse area and he had his studio and he had his little green room and a party room and all that. But he also took me back to his warehouse and he was cranking shirts out. Like, you know, I don't know what to compare it to. Not quite, you know, certainly not WWE level, but probably WCW level. I mean, he had a massive warehouse full with a ton of merchandise that he was shipping out every day, all day, every day. And because of his footprint and because of the demo of, of, of Stern's audience, therefore Bubba's audience, it was the right audience for us. And we were getting a ton of promotion out of Bubba. TNA was getting a ton of free promotion. It didn't cost TNA a nickel. So the exchange rate was pretty good. Give the guy some TV time, let him get himself out there, have some fun with him. He is a national, although radio, but still a media celebrity that a lot of people knew, a lot of people listened to every morning. Um, it wasn't the worst idea in the world. I, I never liked Bubba. I never understood why Hulk was as close to Bubba as he became. Um, but that wasn't my call. But it really was kind of an exchange. Yeah, we'll put you on, we'll put you on TV. We'll let you have some fun. Because Bubba loved wrestling. You know, he, he loved it. Deep down inside, he wanted to be involved in wrestling kind of full-time. But um, it was, on paper, a pretty good exchange. You give us publicity, we'll put you on TV. I'm not asking because I'm leading somewhere. I'm just asking. Uh, did did Bubba come to these shows and bring people from the show? Did he bring an entourage? Was his wife Heather with him? Or is he just riding with Hulk and they're going to hang out and go back together? Uh, I don't think he brought his wife with him that I I remember. I didn't meet her till much later on. Um, I think he, you know, he might, might've brought a couple of guys that he worked with from the studio, the crew, but that was it. He didn't have like 20 people showing up or anything like that. Uh, Eric wants to know, do you think it's possible that TNA did too much on its Monday debut? Luger debuted on the first nitro, but it felt like there were a ton of things uh, that happened on the first Monday TNA that they could have spread out for months. Yeah, and just listening to you kind of laying out the show um, in terms of what happened covering it, it was like, holy crap, do we have to do all that? Was that all necessary? It was overbooked for sure. It was overbooked. I think had we thinned out some of those appearances by, say, 50% and focused more on Rick, Rick Flair, for example, and making Rick's appearance more meaningful and memorable and buzzworthy, same with Jeff Hardy, you know, um, I think 
the ultimate result would have been better. So I, I agree with that. It was overbooked for sure. Well, we're not going to try to overbook this. You and I are hitting the road again. 83weekslive.com is where you want to be. And I can confirm we have a mystery guest. This is a mystery guest whose history with Eric and WCW is synonymous with center stage, which happens to be where impact is going to be. And who saw this coming, Eric? There's now a two for one style opportunity. You can buy tickets to both the impact television taping at center stage and 83 weeks live right now at 83 weeks live.com. Yes. You get your meet and greet with Eric. You get your picture, your autograph. we got some special swag for you. A very special surprise guest. And what do you know? We're doing a little joint promotion with impact. I never thought there would be a time where you could buy tickets for our show and impact on the same show, especially when you get on here and just blister them week in, week out. I, I don't blister the current impact every week. No. So let's be, let's be clear. Cause you know how people are. They only hear bits and pieces and then they say, you know, they're going to be all over the internet. Right. Um, but look, I, you know, I admitted to you a couple of weeks ago, I think on this show that, I've been hard even on, on the current impact. I've just and not hard on them on this show. I don't beat them up. I just don't reference them. I don't put them over either. And I met Josh Alexander a couple of weeks ago in Salt Lake City at an event. I signed autographs at, at the same table with him uh, for an hour or two. And we didn't really get a chance to talk because you're engaged with fans and things like that. And so we never, you know, we didn't chat much other than, saying hello. And I was also involved in the finish as an, it was an independent show as an enforcer. Go figure. Right. Anyway, I was there and I sat at ringside and watched his match, Josh Alexander's and was really, really impressed with him. And that's what I kind of said to myself, you know, it's like, dude, you got to pay more attention. You know, yeah. Just because of what happened, look, TNA the, under the Carter family, they ripped me off of about a hundred grand, whatever. At the time, it didn't matter that much. Don't get me wrong; it mattered, but it wasn't like, oh my god, my world's going to come to an end. But they ripped my son off for about fifteen grand, and at that time, that was a lot of money for my son. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything wrong. He just, he was just my son. And when they did that to him, more so than screwing me out of a hundred grand, when they screwed him out of 15 or whatever it was, 20 grand, it just put such a horrible taste in my mouth that from that point forward, whenever I would hear TNA or impact, just my backbone would get stiff. My fist would clench and my, I start grinding my teeth until that night in Salt Lake city, a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, dude, these people had nothing to do with that. You know, the current management of impact had nothing to do with that. So lighten up, dude, as I said to myself, and here we are, we're lightening up. Now we've got kind of a semi, I don't want to call it a joint. Yeah, it is a joint promotion because we're promoting their show and our show. And you can buy tickets at 83weekslive.com, which I encourage you to do because I have every intention of firing up at this. And I mean, in a good way, not in an angry way. I'm all done being angry, Eric. I'm tired of that. 
Hey, let me just say this too. For $45, you get to come see a live show with me and Eric and a very special mystery guest, at least one, maybe two. And you get to go to the impact show for 45 bucks. So you get to see our show and wrestling and it's 45 bucks. It sounds too good to be true, but we're doing it for you at 83 weekslivecom We've also got a VIP bundle that you don't want to miss, but seriously, what a value to be able to see. I can't believe this is real. Our show and the impact show back to back in the same town for 45 bucks. How do you beat it? It's 83 weekslivecom And Eric, when I texted you over the weekend and I said, Hey man, so-and-so wants to come. I couldn't believe that that was the case. This is not a person who lives local to Atlanta. They're making a special trip because they had such fond memories and are so appreciative of their time at at center stage and in Atlanta and working with you. This is going to be fun. Is it not 83 weeks live.com? I don't know about you, Conrad, because you, you live in a town that you basically grew up in the area, Right. right? Yeah. So you get to go back and see your childhood home or school or probably still have friends that you went to grade school or junior high or high school with. I don't have that, you know, in my life. Um, this will be the, now I've been through Atlanta. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've been through there, you know, on my way to somewhere else. And I was just a couple months ago. I did a little independent shot, uh, down in Griffin, Georgia, I believe somewhere down there. Um, so I, you know, it's not like I haven't been to the state or I've been through the city, but this is going to be the first, and I'm going in early, I'm going a day or two early because I want to go back to my old neighborhood and I want to go back to the neighborhood that I lived in. Uh, and where Paige lived down the street, where it kind of all really got started for me. And, and I'm looking forward to that, but what I'm really looking forward to a ton is going to center stage. Cause that to me, that's to me where it all started, not my career, but that part of my career that really made such a big difference in my life. And quite honestly, a lot of other people's lives, whether they, they'll be willing to admit it or not. Um, so I'm, I just want to go and walk around. I just want to be backstage and just see it and, and remember it. But I also, I, I, I can't wait to engage that audience. Atlanta's a great, great town. And it's going to be interesting to see who tur- turns up and, and what the, you know, how you, kind of you and I have done enough of these. Every, every show has its own personality depending on the crowd and the location and things like that, the venue, but this, this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And I encourage people to join us because I'm, I'm going to make sure I have a blast. And if I'm having a blast, chances are pretty good. You will too. 83 weeks live.com is where you want to be. Pick those tickets up. Who doesn't want to go see Eric Bischoff and then go to center stage and see wrestling. It's 83 weeks live.com. And if you're still looking for uh, something to uh, to do to pass the time, maybe you need a little toilet book. Maybe you got some travel coming up. Maybe you need to uh, read something on the plane or while you're relaxing by the far, whatever it is. Can I recommend grateful by Eric Bischoff? It's on Amazon. It's at bischoffbook.com, but I picked up mine on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version instantly, which is what I did. Uh, but I also have the paperback now. I just got to get Eric to sign it, but you too can make it happen over on Amazon. If you haven't already follow us on Twitter, Eric would love to tell you how stupid you are and rain shit down upon you at E Bischoff. Uh, wow. I am. Hey, it's Conrad. 
I just like after Eric, you can always tell when Eric is tweeting after he's cracked a few cold ones because he just gets straight to the point and just ethers fools left and right. It's a sight <laughs> to behold. Follow him at E. Bischoff. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. He's on Instagram as well at The Real Eric Bischoff. And our show is at 83 Weeks. Anywhere you want to find us, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, it's all at 83 Weeks. And if you're trying to introduce the wrestling fan in your life to our show, the easiest way to do that is to send them to our YouTube, baby. It's 83 weeks on youtube.com. Eric, I don't know what I expected today, but people always love when we talk about TNA because you pull no punches, but uh, we're going to see some punches with the all new impact coming up here in a couple of weeks. What'd you think of today's show? Uh, You know, it's always hard for me to talk about TNA because I don't want to be you know, negative and, 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 and I want to look at the bright side and there's a lot that I'm grateful for. Um, talk about it in the book, you know, um, things may have not gone the way I wanted them to go if it was my company, but it wasn't my company. And while I was there, you know, I got to work with, I got to, I got, I made a lot of new friends. I, I became good friends with people that I'm still friends with today. Um, and, and memories that I really cherish. And I got to work with my son. I got to help make his dream come true. And none of that would have happened had I not been with TNA. So I'm grateful for that. But it's always a little difficult for me to talk about because it's a it's a mixed bag, man. But I I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I, I hope the people listening did too. We, uh, we greatly appreciate your support. Throw us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. Hit up that YouTube right now. I think you'll dig it. 83 weeks on YouTube.com. Hit the like and subscribe button. And we will see you next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.